Anderson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Good afternoon, everybody. Pastor Dave has been doing a sermon series on commitment. And I can't help as I watch that video, as you watch that video, it just, just talks about God's people declaring the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Friends, there is not much time. Jesus will soon return. We are his body to be used as his hands and feet, his mouthpiece to declare the righteousness, the goodness of God, the one who can help us when there's help nowhere else. Amen? I, I told uh, the ladies that, that sung uh, in first service as they just sung now. That was amazing. Thank you to the ladies and to Brendan who played accompaniment. Uh, it was like the old days. It reminded me of the old days because 22 years ago when I was a senior theology major, we had the opportunity. You could sign up to preach in various churches in the greater area and just get opportunity to, opportunities to get experience. And so I signed up. Dr. Blanca was here this morning for first service. He was the chair of the religion department at the time. And so you could sign up. And so I wanted more opportunity. I wanted to grow in my, in my preaching. And so I, I signed up for a very specific church. It was like an hour and a half away at least, middle of nowhere, USA. And we went to preach there. I didn't go alone, though. That's what reminded me of the, the old days because uh, some of the ladies that, that sang here this morning would get in the car with me and I would preach and they would sing a special music. We would pack into my 1992 uh, Saturn, four-door burgundy Saturn, and we would drive there. I remember one, I think I did it three or four times. And I remember one, I think it was like November of 98, I uh, had just, in preaching class, I had to prepare and preach a narrative sermon, a sermon that, you know, basically more story style, telling a biblical story. And so I had just done that, like, on a Thursday, scheduled to preach at this church on Sabbath, and so I'm like, this is perfect. I just did it in class. I even got feedback uh, from my professor and classmates. Now I can go preach it in this church. And so Sabbath morning came. We got up early, got into that Saturday, and drove up and down into Alabama somewhere, and came to this church, very small church. I don't know if they were between pastors or the pastor was preaching somewhere else, but I got up, the lady sang, did an amazing job back then as well, and I got up to preach and preached this narrative sermon, this story that Jesus told about a prodigal, about a son who had left home and had thought that there was better options away from home, left his father, wished he was, wanted the money instead of his father, wished his father was dead, couldn't wait for that, took the inheritance and went in prodigal living, right? Until he comes to himself, as the Bible says, and he comes home and he practices his speech all the way until he gets home as he, as he falls down on his face before his father. And can you, can you see his father? He says, shh, shh, there's no time for that. We've got to get you home. We've got to celebrate. My son who was lost is found. He was gone, but he is home, right? It was after I preached the sermon that um, greeted a few people, very small church, and, and the head elder said, uh, can I talk to you in the mother's room? That's never a good sign when the head elder wants to speak to you in the mother's room. All right, so we go into the mother's room, and, and he, he looked at me, and he said, I'm a military man. He goes, don't you ever come to my church again and simply just tell a story. We need meat. We need something that is going on and on. And I'm just shocked because I just preached this in class and Dr. Morris said it was fine. So I'm, I'm not even know what to say. I'm like, was I, did I, I, all right, do, do I drop and give him 20? I mean, I didn't know what to do at this point. So I just said, man, I'm, I'm sorry. And he let me off. He, I guess he 
kind of said what he needed to say, but here I am 20-some years later, and I got to tell you, I don't think I've learned anything because I come here today just to proclaim it's a great honor to share with you that the Jesus that is represented, the Father that is represented by that prodigal's father is the same Father that we have in Scripture and you have today. No matter where you are at today, this is the same God that we have represented in that story. No matter where you are, no matter if you're stuck and feel like you can't get to him, man, this is the God that runs to you wherever you are at. I guess I haven't changed. Blake Lang, he's a professor here at Southern. His wife, Teresa, uh, I grew up with Teresa in Pennsylvania, going to uh, Reading Junior Academy together. He works here in physics. Any physics majors here today? Well, Blake teaches it, so I I hope somebody takes the class. Um, I used to cut his hair in the dorm, actually. Uh, when I was an RA, but great guy. I saw him out on the mountain biking trails just over a little over a week ago. And we stopped there. How was your summer? How was your summer? And, and what did you do, Blake? Well, we just, we, we bought an RV. We bought this big motorhome. We drove across the country to Idaho to visit some family. And we were that far, we decided that we might as well go all the way to the coast. And so we drove all the way to the coast and it was beautiful, it was amazing. And evidently, I take it from his story that when you get to the coast, driving on the beach is a thing. Like the, the thing you, you do, because you can't do that everywhere. So wherever beach he drove to, this was the thing. So he drove that big RV onto the beach. And evidently, it's not just him doing that with an RV. People do that with all kinds of vehicles, including RVs. And so it's, it's a beautiful driving up and down the sand there. And, and as you can imagine, RVs aren't exactly nimble or light. And before you knew it, they were, you guessed it, they were stuck. Man, I'm excited today because we're going to dig into God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ is, if you have a handout today, you can fill in the blank right here. The gospel is, fill in the blank, good news for the stuck. I don't know if you're stuck today. I don't know if you're stuck spiritually. I don't know if you're stuck in a, in a relationship that you know you need to kind of cut. I don't know if you're stuck with some sin in your life and you just can't get out. But the gospel is good news for the stuck because the gospel is the story of the intervention of Jesus into the human experience. The story of the gospel remains merely a set of, set of teachings. I'm always afraid of that. I'm always afraid that we have this head knowledge about the gospel, head knowledge about Jesus, but we have not yet allowed the power of the cross to be applied to us. The gospel remains just merely a set of teachings until it becomes the fill in the blank, until it becomes the explanation for the change in your life. How'd you do it? What'd you do? What's the difference? I'm telling you, I couldn't. Let me be clear, on the front end of that, it wasn't me. It was the power of the living God. It's not just a story. He's a person who's the strongest. He's the biggest, and he got me unstuck. Jesus not only wants to change your position, he wants to fill in the blank, transform your character. Uh, preaching a series right now, just uh, it's called Beyond Belief, and we've talked a lot about justification, sanctification. Justification is this thing in a moment. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I give myself to you. I turn in heart from them. I just 
I just accept what you're offering. It's justification. You, you change position in a moment like that thief on the cross. I tell you the truth today, you will be saved. But Jesus wants to do more th- than just that, to change your position from, being, uh, from experiencing forever death or experiencing hell. He wants to transform our characters. Because while justification is the work of a moment, there may be some sin in our life that still has power over us. And Jesus is the only one who has the power to do something about it. The Bible illustrates the experience the believers to have in regards to salvation through the experience of Israel. Are you guys still with me? Have I lost you? Anybody in the balcony, are you still with me? Thank you. One person up there. You can wake everyone else up. The Bible illustrates the experience of the believers to have in regards to salvation through the experience of, what did I say before? Israel. Here's the example that is trying to paint. That the believer is to experience an exodus from the world uh, under the control of Satan and, and entrance into the church under the rule and the headship of Jesus. So there's an Old Testament example of Israel Uh, You may remember them. They they moved there because Joseph was there. They moved there because there was a famine. And so Jacob, or Israel was his changed name, and all the brothers and all the families and all the herds that were left, they moved to Egypt. They moved to the land of Goshen until that Pharaoh died who did not know Joseph. And before you knew it, they were slaves and they were stuck. So this Old Testament example of the experience of Israel, the exodus of God's people from Egypt to Canaan, fill in the blank, symbolizes God's people coming out, getting out of Satan's world into Jesus' church. The exodus of God's people from Egypt to Canaan symbolizes what Jesus wants to do in your life and in mine to help us get unstuck. Here's a little bit more of the details of the, the symbolism, the connections. Egypt symbolizing the sinful world. Canaan, a church destined for heaven. The Red Sea, baptism, as God's people say goodbye to Egypt, the world, and Pharaoh, Satan. So they were stuck. You remember they cried out for decades. They cried out for years, hundreds of years. They cry out, Lord, please help us. Please do something. And the Lord does. He helps them get unstuck. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you, 26, if you have your Bibles. We read the explanation of how they got unstuck. Deuteronomy 26, verse 8. Would you say amen when you find it on your phone or on your tablet or on your Bible? Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 8. The gospel is good news for the stuck. It is the the power of God that becomes the explanation for the change, for the unstucking. Here is their testimony that God has put in their mouth. Deuteronomy 26, verse 8 says this. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The explanation of how they get unstuck is the Lord. He brought us out. Man, we tried. We, we could, there's nothing we could do in and of ourselves. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Man, his hand is strong. And with an outstretched stretched arm, with great terror, and with signs and wonders. 
The explanation of how they became unstuck had nothing to do with them and everything to do with the strong hand, the strong arm of the Lord. He did it. How did it happen? The Lord. What's the explanation? It's him. He did it. I'm wondering today, do we have any freshmen that have come onto campus? All right. Just not taking physics, right? Okay. All right. Sign up afterwards, but. All right, any parents here dropping off their child? Amen, amen. I met some folks from the Philippines. Uh, so I, they may have the, 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 the award from coming the farthest. Anybody else further than the Philippines? Texas? It's all right. It's, this geography class also available. All right, so, um, but we're glad everyone's here. Um, I remember when I came, I came long, long, long time ago in the year of our Lord. Now, it was a long time ago. And I came onto campus. I had moved into Third West in Touch Hall. The room numbers are different now, but I was in room 379 with my roommate, John Thomas. And we had moved in. My parents had said the tearful, tearful goodbyes. Hannah, I know that's probably happened for you, all right? And so tearful goodbyes, they, they had gone. So John and I were headed to the cafeteria. We go up to the same cafeteria. We go up to the cafeteria there, and there's a lady standing there who's handing the trays out. She had a name tag on. I had this habit. I actually got it from Pastor Dave when he was the youth director because we went into like a Kmart, and he read their name tag. And he's just like, hello, John. And they're like, how do you know my name? He's like, you have a name tag. So I just started doing that like 25 years ago or something. And so anyway, I walk in, and I was like, hello, Mrs. Moore. And she's like, Hello. She handed me the tray, and so we, we went through line there. We went and sat down, John and I, and we're looking for some of our friends, and we start talking with them, and before you know it, all of a sudden, here she comes. The evening cafeteria uh, supper host. And I have to tell you, uh, you know, when I look back at all the different people on this campus who, who made an impact in my life, did the president make an impact? Dr. Gordon Bates, absolutely. Did, did the dean make an impact? Absolutely. Did the chaplain? Absolutely. Did the uh, religion professors, Dr. Blanco, man, absolutely. I mean, all these different people made an impact. But if, if you're going to kind of pin me down here and say, all right, who was the person that made the greatest impact on your life, lasting impact in your life, who was it? I would say it was Evelyn Moore. The evening cafeteria supper hostess. I just wonder, when they were hiring for that position, if they got together and they said, all right, we have a position that's open. It's going to be a big deal. This person is probably going to interact with more students than anybody on campus. This person is probably going to talk to more students probably have the more opportunity to sit down and just talk with them in a, in a casual set. I mean, this is one of the biggest jobs on campus, not minimizing any other position on campus, but this position is a big deal. I'm, I'm guessing it probably didn't go that way, but I'm telling you, I got the tray, I met her, all of a sudden she came out to John and I and she sits down and she was originally from New York and she had a little bit of an accent and she never said my name Chris, she said Quiz. And so she sat down and she said, I used to smoke. <laughs> Interesting. Um, again, good to meet you. And it's like, this is awkward. I used to smoke. And then she said, you know what? I tried to stop. That's a good thing. You, you, yeah. She said, but I couldn't stop. 
She said, Chris, I'm telling you, I tried with everything. I tried plans, I tried this, I willpower, I got, I mean, this time I'm not gonna, but I could not stop. But Chris, I stopped smoking, not because I had the power, but because Jesus made the difference. He did it in my life. Well, that's awesome, Mrs. Moore, fantastic. Another time she would sit down and she'd say, uh, this is, at that time she was like 67 years old, she was a widow, and she would sit down and she would, began to talk to us again, and she said, you know, my husband had died, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do next. And so I prayed. And all of a sudden, somebody kind of threw me this, you know, there's an opening for an evening cafeteria host, and I put my name in, and I got it. She said, Chris, I'm telling you that if this same Jesus has a plan for this 67-year-old woman, I know he has a plan for your life. I, if, if I, heard, I heard those stories for the next four years, I, I'm not, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. If I heard those stories 50 times, she would tell me over and over, Chris, I couldn't, but the Lord. I, I didn't know what I was going to do, but he put me here. He's going to put you. He's going to put you. I saw her over the, all those four years. She would bounce from table to table. No doubt, many of us as students thought, oh boy, here comes Mrs. Moore. I know, I can, I can say the story with her over and over, but she didn't care. It didn't matter because she was on the mission of Jesus to let people know that if you are stuck, Jesus can help you. If you need direction, Jesus will give you direction because he has a plan for your life. It's a testimony that he put in her mouth. And Deuteronomy 26 verse eight is a testimony that he put in the mouths of these millions of Israelites who were stuck. Man, are you stuck today? Maybe you're watching today, you're sitting on your couch or in your bed, or your you're stuck today, but the gospel is good news for the stuck. because of this symbolism in the Old Testament of Israel being stuck and the Lord getting them out. Because of this symbolism in the Old Testament, the New Testament writers purposely chose the word they chose to refer to God's fill in the blank, God's people. Because of the symbolism of Israel stuck, getting unstuck by the power of God, his mighty hand, his mighty outstretched arms, because of this symbolism in the Old Testament, the New Testament writers purposely chose the word they chose to refer to God's people. The Greek word of the New Testament is, probably on your study guides there, you can see, is ekklesia. Ekklesia, meaning, translated, church. There in your study guides, it kind of spells it out. Ekklesia is made up of two, two Greek words, two Greek roots. The first one is ek, E-K, which means out. The second one is kaleo, which means to call. You put it together and it means literally the called, fill in the blank, out ones. The called out ones. What is the church? It is a group of people who have been called out by Jesus Christ. It's why he says in John 15, 19, I chose you out, there's the same word, ek, I chose you out of the world. I'm calling you out. not only to forgive, not only to save us from hell or death, but to deliver us out of the current sand, sin we might be stuck in. Of course, we all want salvation from death and hell. <laughs> Amen. But it's more. It involves coming out of the sin that so easily ensnares you and me. It involves a radical change. 
I think I told you earlier is that, you know, I've been talking about these very Christian words. You may almost fall asleep as a justification, sanctification. Justification is work of a moment. I give myself to you. Man, you change position from being in Adam to being in Christ. But then there's this ongoing part of the gospel where Jesus then works on the inside. You remember that song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to your voice has to correct me. Your voice has to correct what I ought to be. This work of sanctification where Jesus is doing a work that only he can do. The work that you do, the work that I do myself, we're working on just kind of making a better version of ourselves. Jesus isn't interested in a better version of you or me. Jesus creates, because he's the creator, a brand new you and me. The creator never stops creating. You remember there on on the shores of Galilee when he sees those four disciples. He's not there by accident. This is not just a, huh, I thought I'd be down here at quiet time and, huh, there's fishermen. No, no, he's down there on purpose because he's mission-driven, not mission-inclusive. He's down there on purpose and he sees the object of his mission. There they are, uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Hello. Hi, guys. I like the upper... Hello, and, and he sees them, they see him, they, they've seen him before, they've heard him before, and he's looking at us. And then he says this, follow me, and I will make you. Pause. Only the creator can say that. He never stops being the creator. Follow me and I will make you. I will remake you into my image so that you again look just like me from the inside out. That's why Jesus says, I chose you. I picked you. I hope you know that you are picked today. He's called you out, not only to forgive your past or your present, but help you get unstuck from whatever sand you might be stuck in. This involves a a coming out of sin that so easily ensnares, involves a radical change that the last day Laodicean church isn't a big fan of. You remember Laodicea, right? Revelation chapter 3. Laodicean church, Jesus has some very specific things to say to this church. He says things like this, that you, have a, you feel a need of nothing. You feel a need of nothing. Why? Because you are blind. You have blind spots. But do you not know what you're really like? You don't understand that you're really stuck. It's easy for me and us maybe, to refer to Laodicea like, oh yeah, the Laodicean church. Oh, it represents the last day church. That's over. The Laodicean church is us. The last day church is us. And there was silence in the church. If the last day church is us, that would indicate that Jesus is coming soon. Friends, There's not much time. Jesus is coming soon. This earth is wrapping up, and Jesus speaks to the last day church, us. And he says, you feel a need of nothing. Why? Because you're blind. You don't even understand how stuck you are. This is not an exclusive characteristic of the last day church, of us. It seems to be a characteristic, it's possible to be a characteristic of God's people throughout time. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10 say this, that above everything else, our hearts 
are deceitful. Translation, the biggest deceiver, that's, that's kind of a, a, a nice, subtle, or not subtle, uh, nicer way to say it, but the real way to say it, the biggest liar in your life and the biggest liar in my life is us. The biggest liar in your life is you. The biggest liar in my life is me. Thinking that I'm one thing, when, thinking that I have a need of really nothing, but just, no, 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 you're, you're blind. You, you don't get it. And at some point, there's this enlightened moment for King David. Maybe it's, I guess, it, yes, it's after his sin that all of a sudden says, man, there's blind spots that I'm stuck that led to my, this great fall in my life. Lord, you're going to have to do something. And so in Psalm 139, David prays a fill-in-the-blank, a bold prayer. I invite you to turn there. Psalm 139, verses 20, verse 23 is where we begin. Yes, you're there. Anybody else? Psalm 139, verse 23, then to verse 24. He prays this bold prayer because he's just like, man, there's stuff I don't see. So here's what he says. Bold prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see, you see with your eye if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, search me, reveal to me. I've got blind spots. You're gonna have to help me see what I don't see. Probably on most of our cars here, on the side, rear view mirrors, on the side, there's some writing. You know what I'm talking about? The objects in this mirror are closer than they David has this moment of enlightenment where he says, man, it's so easy for me to look over and say, yep, uh uh-huh, some sin over there, yep. Yep, I can name some church members who, let me just make a list. You know, I mean, he just, he he it's over there, but he has this moment of clarity through the Holy Spirit that he's, he's recognizing that sin is closer than it appears to him. It's really close, and Lord, you're gonna have to show me, you're gonna have to reveal to me the areas of my life where I'm stuck that I don't even recognize. That can be true for you and I. So how does Jesus, how does the gospel bring about this radical change? How does the gospel, how does Jesus get us out? What are the, fill in the blank, biblical? What are the biblical things or what are some biblical things? Jesus uses the result in his power being the explanation for the change, for the impossible in my life and in yours. Three things, just three possible things in a list of uh, certainly many. Number one, if you have a a study guide. Number one, spiritual weapons. What biblical things does Jesus use? Spiritual weapons is the fill in the blank. Here's the the two things, and of course you're thinking probably Ephesians chapter six, armor of God, but two things, the Bible and prayer. You might say, so you, you went to school all that time and that's really all you got? Like, I already knew that. Didn't have to come here today for that. The Bible and prayer. But as we pause, we notice that these are the weapons that Jesus used. He spent all night. He would steal off by himself and just pray. He's praying, Lord, uh, Father, I, I, I guard, protect, lead me. Uh, and he's listing names. Lord, fight for them. Father, fight for them. All of these, these things. Bible and, and prayer. These were the weapons of Jesus. I love the, the movie. I typically, in church, am not promoting movies, but um, 
the, war, the movie War Room? Have you seen that? I mean, I forget her name, but she's going through it. And the enemy has all kinds of grips on her, her life and the life of her family. I mean, they are stuck. Her marriage is stuck. Her husband is stuck. Their life is a mess. She begins to pray in this war room, her closet cleaned out. She begins to claim scripture. I don't know if you remember the scene there. She quotes James 4, 7 as she quotes this, this verse says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. She recognized that Satan had, had a grip on her home and her life, and she just said, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm going to submit to God. I say no to you, devil, and the Bible says that you will flee. So I am trusting that the Lord is faithful to his word. In fact, he is. Whatever promise has been made in this word is true. Do you believe that? The stories of the individuals and families in this book are not just simply that we sit back and say, wow, God was so powerful then. If God did it in their lives, he intends to do it in yours too. That's why it's there. In fact, the Bible says of itself that, that the God speaks and his word will not come back to him void, but it will accomplish the purpose he was sent for. His word is a faithful steward. It goes and does what it says. We can go all the way back to let there be, and guess what? Galaxies are still being created because his word just, just keeps going. Spiritual weapons, your Bible, and your prayer. I pause just to, just to say, um, we've, we've got to be in our Bibles. If you have a Bible app and that's your verse of the day, awesome. But please do not let that be, be it. Let that supplement, let that encourage, let that remind, but you've got to get into this book. And I'm just, this is my bias. This is not, put aside the phone, put it outside the room. Put it on vibrate so nobody can bother you and get into this book. Have something to write with because we come expecting that God's going to say something and we're not going to want to forget it. Get into his book. Get into his word. God's not speaking today. Maybe we're just not even listening. Through spiritual weapons, the Bible and prayer. We fight the spiritual with the spiritual. I believe that everything has roots in the spiritual. No matter what we're facing, it's ultimate root. Yes, this is happening in the physical. Yes, it seems so literal, but the ultimate root is a spiritual battle. And we fight the spiritual with the spiritual because we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. You may remember in John, Matthew 17, and I messed this up in the first, in the first uh, service, but in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is up on the mountain of transfiguration with uh, Peter, James, and John. Amazing experience, but he leaves the nine at the base of the mountain. While they're at the base of the mountain, we might feel bad for them like, man, they got totally left out. They got to meet Moses and Elijah. We're down here. Jesus leaves them there for the purpose of mission. Jesus has us here for the purpose of mission. The Collegedale Church of Seventh-day Adventists exists for the purpose of his mission. They're there at the bottom. All of a sudden, this dad comes, and he has his little boy. And, man, this little boy is stuck. But any parent knows if your son or daughter is stuck, the parent is stuck too. 
There's no separating the two. And he comes, he's like, where's Jesus? He's on the mountain. He'll be down at some point. All right, my, it's my little boy. And they say, the nine said, we got this. I wasn't thinking in the first service. I said, yeah, well, maybe Peter prayed or James. And somebody wrote to me a little note and said, uh, they were on the mountain. I'm like, yeah, that's right. So maybe it was Nathaniel. I don't know. I don't know who it was. But here's this little boy who is stuck. His dad is desperate. Can you imagine the disciples? They've been sent out two by two. They've been among the 70. They came back saying, man, even the demons obey us in your name. Listen, dad, we, we've done this before. Uh, we're professionals. And so they begin to pray for him. Amen. And something happens but not the desired outcome. The Bible says that all of a sudden, like the enemy, uh, this little boy who is, who is filled with evil spirits, uh, the evil spirits rear their head and he foams at the mouth and he falls down and he's like walling on the ground and the disciples are like, ooh, that, that wasn't supposed to happen. Huh. I wonder in that moment, because maybe, I, I thought this before, may, maybe, man, did, last time we went out, whenever we said the name of Jesus, it, but this time, did I say the right words? Did I put him in the same order I did be? Anybody play this game? Did I put them in the same order? If I could say in the same order, maybe with the same, maybe the same volume. Maybe, can you see another disciple stepping forward and say, well, I'll try. And so they pray, maybe this time they turn up the volume. Lord, like, as if that's the, that's the problem. Nothing happens. Jesus shows up. Some religious leaders are there. There's an argument between the nine and this religious leader. Jesus said, well, what's going on? This dad does not allow any time for, for discussion. This is my, my son. I brought him. They, I, they can't, but can't. we're stuck. Jesus delivers a little boy. Because the story, the message of Jesus is good news for the stuck. Amen? There's, there's no one stronger than Jesus. We fight against principalities and powers, but what does it say in the scripture that he has taken a seat above every principality and power? He sits above. He delivers a little boy, the disciples afterwards, the nine, maybe the two that prayed. Jesus. How come? How come we prayed and nothing happened? We did it. We said the same words. We tried it the same way. Jesus says this, Matthew 17, um, verse 21. He says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In other words, sustained. When you think of fasting, you're thinking of something that goes on more than just a moment. It's people coming together in groups and praying and not letting go until you do something, God. So often, God's people, we come together and we pray and nothing happens. Well, it must be the Lord's will. Yes, at the second coming. Amen at the second coming. But the Lord is looking for a faithful generation in these closing moments to just say, you know what? Whatever the Lord wants to do, we're fine with that. But we are not going to stop seeking him. We are not going to stop claiming his word. We are not going to stop praying. We are going to fast and we are not, we're going to pray against the enemy because not his will be done, but his will be done. That's a characteristic. We talk about his avid, a lot of character at Last Day Church. That is a characteristic to be included in characteristics of Christ's Last Day Church. That they will not stop praying and seeking him. They do not pray or allow, no. That no victory would be given to the devil, but to Jesus. What are the biblical things that Jesus uses that result in his power being the explanation for change for the impossible in lives? Number one, spiritual weapons. Number two, fill in the blank, community. Number two, community. 
If you would, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Anybody else there? Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 is where we begin. Here's what it says. Two are better than one. According to Scripture, church is not an individual sport. It is a team sport. Strength in numbers is not just a cliche. It's actually a biblical concept. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. In other words, there is fruit from two, at least two, coming together. Verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Verse 11, again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another. Can I insert, though one may be overpowered by the devil, two can withstand him in the name of Jesus. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This biblical concept that there's strength in numbers. This is God designed. I mean, there's all kinds of references. We could dig in and spend all our time just on these verses. But if one falls... How many people have fallen spiritually and they've stayed there? They've remained stuck because there's no community around them to pull them up, to lend the strength that they have in that moment from Christ to aid them. Woe to him who is alone when he falls because he has no help. How many people have been overpowered and continue to be overpowered by the enemy because they have no community? So two practical applications Number one, make sure that you have at least one person you pray with regularly. So if you're a college student, maybe it's your roommate, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a teacher, whoever it is, there's one person you pray with, you have an appointment, a very set appointment, it's going to be this time in the cafeteria, it's going to be this time uh, in front of Wright Hall, it's whatever. If you're married, find somebody in addition to your spouse of the same sex to pray with regularly. And then number two, practical application. Consider making a commitment to joining a small group. Maybe it's one of our Sabbath school classes and we've built this building for the purpose of smaller spaces so that people can have true community. Maybe it's joining one of our deeper dive and there's Pastor Tim. He's going to wave wildly at this point right now. There he is. If you want to talk to him afterwards, he works, he's over our small groups, our group life, and he writes a a study guide for small groups based on the messages from this pulpit. And so you can dig in in a group and they're awesome and they're fantastic and they facilitate conversation. They facilitate a turning into God's word. But in addition to that, it's a carved out time for people to come together to pray for each other. Because a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. Community is a God-designed thing. There is strength in numbers. That's the way Jesus designed it. And then number three, the third thing, 
a biblical thing that Jesus uses to result in his power being the explanation for the change and impossible in our lives is this. Number three, cutting out, fill in the blank. O-U-T, cutting out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Is where we begin, verse 30 as well. A cutting out, a cutting off. Verse 29 says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Verse 30, If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Make no mistake, I don't think anybody is. Jesus is not talking about anybody literally plucking out any eyes or cutting off any hands. What Jesus is saying is that if you're going to get out, if you're truly going to take his hand, his strength in this to get out, you have to be willing to cut off the things that we view important, even essential, whatever it might be. There's a lot of easy examples. Of just, so, so for example, if you say, all right, I'm making a new school year resolution. I am going to get physically fit. I have a little inclination for some Oreos and some, some milk around 9.30 at night. But I'm not going to eat them anymore. I'm going to stop. I guess I'm not talking anybody's language right now. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to eat those, right? All right? Man, 9.30 comes around. Whew, man, I'm hungry, but those Oreos look good. And the, the gallon of milk, whatever it is. And they're there, and it's a moment of weakness, and you eat it. Jesus is talking about, that's just a general illustration, Jesus is talking about cutting off the opportunity to go down the wrong path. Whatever it might be, maybe it's a toxic relationship. Man, just every time I'm with this person, it just, I, I make the wrong decision. Every time I'm with this person, they just treat me this certain way. Jesus is saying, cut off that relationship. It's not just going to go away. Maybe you have a challenge, male or female, maybe you have a challenge with looking at things you should not look at, watching. Jesus is saying, cut off, cut out, get rid of it. Cut off the opportunity. Go get yourself a dumb phone or cut off the, 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 the data or the, the, the level of being able to get online and the internet. Uh, maybe not have a computer in your dorm room or in your home and you're like, yeah. Are you living in 2021? Because um, you're crazy. Maybe. But was Jesus crazy? He's saying cut out and cut off. It may be hard, it may be difficult, but it'll be worth it. As long as there is opportunity to go down that path, sin will exist. The opportunity to sin, the path will be wide open. Somebody else might say, you're not actually taking care of the problem. That's probably true, but I believe what Jesus is saying is, until I change you, until I take that desire and change, recreate your heart, cut off the opportunity to go down that path. What is he asking you to cut out? What is he asking you to cut off? You say, ah, uh, yeah, that'd be too hard. Jesus is saying, it may be hard, but it's worth it. Because if you allow spiritual cancer to continue in your life, spiritual cancer will kill your spirituality, your relationship with Jesus. It will sever, it will get in between you and Jesus in his strength, in his strength cut out and cut off, 
Even that is through the strength and the power of Jesus. Are you stuck today? The gospel is good news to those who are stuck. And so Blake and his family are stuck in his RV on the beach. And all of a sudden, as they're sitting there, and Blake, physics professor, you know, he's done everything. He's found a, a log and a board, put it, I mean, all kinds of stuff under the wheel, and he's just getting more and more stuck. He finds out that in that area, because there's so many tourists that come and drive their vehicles, including RVs, on the beach, that it's a bit of an industry for the locals. Many of them put winches on, on their trucks and their SUVs to pull people out for money. Depending on where the tide is at, if the tide is going out, uh, it would be 200 bucks. If the tide is coming in, that RV will float. The tide's coming in, it's going to be 300 bucks. Blake and his family, Teresa and the kids, are wondering what they need to do. All of a sudden, he said that there's this, this vehicle that pulls up. We actually have a, a picture of it. The RV, the family, will be pulled up here in a second. But Blake, Blake and the family are there. This vehicle pulls up, this bigger SUV with a yellow light on it. It kind of looks official. And it, it was wrapped. You can get your vehicle wrapped, you know, with different sayings or pictures. It was wrapped with all these Bible verses all around it. This guy hops out, and he's like, hey, you need me to pull you out? And Blake's like, yeah. He had a, a winch on there. And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I was just out here in my vehicle, and because it has that yellow light, he's like, I just purchased it from, like, a security company. Like, because of the yellow light, people thought it was like a like official, like I was like somebody. And people started asking me to pull them out. And he said, I just came to me like, this could be what I, this could be my thing. This could be my ministry to pull people out. Not charging it, just, just pulling them out. So he attaches the RV, pulls them right out. Afterwards, Blake, I mean, he's, he, he's very friendly. He's like, man, thank you so much. Can we pray together? This guy's like totally non un unassuming, just kind of quiet. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And so Blake prays, and this guy just said, thank you. And just very quietly, and do we have the picture? There it is. You can see them there together. He pulls them out and gets them unstuck. My prayer today is that this gospel will be more to, more to you than just the reason you're not going to burn or the reason that you go to church, but it will be the explanation for the change in your life. It is in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where it says this, the Spirit says to all who can hear, come. Would you come? It's three chapters before. In Revelation chapter 18, it says this, come out of her, Babylon. Come out of these false systems of worship, my people. In all situations, there is an invitation to those who are stuck. You say, oh yes, all those in false systems of worship. One of the biggest false systems of worship that we experience is a worship of self. Come out of that false system of worship. The invitation from the Spirit of God, whoever hears, come on. Here's the challenge. None of us can come on our own. We can't even meet an invitation apart from the power of Jesus Christ. Because we're stuck. And I don't know what clarity you have or lack of clarity you have. Maybe you pray a, prayed a bold prayer this afternoon. Show me, because I can't see it. Maybe it's abundantly clear. Maybe it's smack dab in front of you and you, it's been bothering you. It's been hard. It's been draining your spiritual and physical energy because you're stuck. Can I tell you today about the God of Mrs. Moore? I couldn't, but Jesus. I didn't know what he, I was going to do with my life, but he had a plan for me. This is the same thing that he wants to do in your life. And as we close, we turn back to those words, that testimony of the Israelites in Deuteronomy 26. 
Deuteronomy chapter 26. We read verse 8, but now we back up to verse 7. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers. Why? Because they were stuck. And the Lord heard our voice. Amen? The Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction. He saw how stuck we were in our labor and our oppression. Verse 8. So the Lord brought us out. Oh, that faith will be kindled in your heart right now that Jesus can do the same for you. Out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with great terror and signs and wonders. Verse 9. He has brought us to this place. There's a day coming soon when Jesus will soon return. He's going to come, and we're going to be caught up in the clouds with him. We're going to be walking through the pearly gates into heaven, to this place he's been preparing. And we, all those who are there will, be, will have extreme clarity, say, no, no, the only reason I'm here is because he has brought me to this place. Are you stuck today? The gospel is good news for those who are stuck no matter what the issue is here today, Jesus sits above every principality and power. He can do it in your life. Keep crying out to him. You say, I have. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep crying out to him and let him be the explanation for the change in your life and in mine. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending Jesus for a stuck race. Maybe there's somebody here who's something very specific and they're just, they're crying out to you like the Israelites. Lord, show up with your mighty hand and do what only you can do. Deliver, Lord, even today. May some testimonies come out later of what you have done when we couldn't. Lord, we love you. We give ourselves to you. As Southern Adventist University, as the Collegedale Church, we believe that you've called us out be your hands and feet in these closing moments and so use us to share the gospel good news with people that no matter how stuck they are there's a God by the name of Jesus who specializes unstucking us in Jesus name let everyone say